We got social puzzles. Looking into some of the uh, the big social issues of the week. Joining us, helping us out in the studio is Stephen Borwick, a freelance journalist based in Seoul. Good morning. Good morning. Three stories as usual. The first one, uh, a little bit complicated because we're dealing with um, separate issues here, but all tying into kind of a wider theme. Uh, I, I guess just to lay out for our listeners. Uh, First, there's this conflict among political pundits, uh, namely Lee Jun-suk, who is a, a former Supreme Council member, uh, considered this kind of young, up-and-coming uh, politician of the conservative right, and uh, I guess self-proclaimed sort of um, kind of champion of, of young men, and I, I think maybe this sort of Korean men's rights movement. He's been at odds with another commentator, um, Jin Jung-kwan, a, a former pers- professor of Tongyang, more famously for his kind of pointed criticisms of Cho Guk and, and kind of attacking uh, the, the ruling party, m- mainly from the, from the left, I, I guess you can say. But they've been at odds because um, Jin Jung-kwan is, is more of an advocate for um, feminist rights and ideals and maybe a supporter of groups like Megalia, a very noted uh, feminist organization, Lee Jun-suk, obviously representing the, the, the sort of disaffected male youth aspect of it. And one contention was that the infamous uh, murder years ago uh, that took place at a Gangnam station um, bathroom or restroom where uh, a, a female was killed by a, a young man um, his claim, Lee Jun-suk's claim, is that this was not based on anything dealing with uh, misogyny or any hatred of women. Obviously, this kind of spurred on this kind of back and forth between them that has been really ongoing now as to um, where you stand on uh, these issues of feminism. And then we had subsequent con- controversies with these various advertisements that took place. Uh, the police had an ad- advertisement as well as uh, GS25. Um, and... In this, there's these posters that depict a sort of hand signal that a lot of people are saying is some kind of code or key. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're um, aware of this too, but uh, with the whole QAnon white supremacy, you know that little OK signal that sometimes yeah, yeah, people are, yeah, and then a lot of people pick up on that. Sometimes it might be unintentional, but other times you kind of think, well, it's a little bit too coincidental for that and guy. And people to find actually... old pictures where somebody's right, making right, messages. Right. And, and so it, it kind of reminds me of that. And there are certain other parallels here with what we're seeing in, in the U.S. But overall, what are your thoughts? Well, this gesture, if I'm not mistaken, was in the Megalia logo. And it's also on this poster, and it's right next to a, a certain meat product. And so, yeah, yeah. So it's a guy picking up a piece of sausage yeah, or something like that, yeah. which you kind of wonder, how else are you going to pick up a, a piece of sausage? Well, you could use tongs or something, I guess. <laughs> that's what I normally use when I grill sausages, okay. but that's just me. Um, I have a few thoughts here. I mean, this I hadn't thought about this Gangnam killing in a long time, but I... I covered that when it happened. Okay. I, I was at the... I went to this... You know, as, as you know, after the, the killing took place, there was a kind of vigil at near at the nearest subway station and when women were going there and they were putting up post-it notes with messages. And when I was there, I was talking to some young women to get their reaction and there was a group of young men who showed up there and were kind of seeking to disrupt the the morning and there was an argument, this this same argument really. So this, this argument has been going on since then as to whether or not these young men were arguing that it was kind of unfair for these women to portray women in South Korea generally as victims. And these guys were arguing that the, the deck is kind of stacked against them as men because they have to do military service. And 
after I wrote this article, I, I heard from some young South Korean men who, were, who, who didn't like the way that I depicted the situation. They, they felt like I had kind of drank this feminist Kool-Aid and I had unfairly just depicted this as a this, this, this same claim here that people saying that this woman was not killed because she was a woman, that this was not this was just a kind of random act of violence committed by a, a mentally ill young man and this this was not as one thing that is as journalists we have to own up to is that we really like finding some small intimate case that can be drawn out to tell some kind of bigger story and this killing really served that purpose we can now debate uh you know the the extent to the i think this debate is really about the extent to which that that's fair um, as far as I know about this killing, the, the perpetrator specifically said that he, he went into this restroom and he waited because he wanted, he specifically wanted to attack a woman and that there were men who came and went from this restroom in that time that he didn't harm. So I don't quite understand how you can now say that this was nothing, this had nothing to do with gender. Um, you can understand if you're trying to get the 20-year-old voting block to yes, support your party. Yes, that's the, that's the cynical. I, I'm, I'm actually, I'm glad we're talking about this today, Henry, because I'm, I'm actually reporting a story on this this week that I've, I've hopefully okay. will run on Friday. I wonder how much of this is just the kind of human tendency to form groups and to quarrel over resources. And in South Korea, as we all know, this is an ethnically homogenous country. There are not like different linguistic and different ethnic groups. In most countries, that there's a lot of those kinds of, you know, like a country like Lebanon, maybe there are these different ethnic groups that exist in the society and, and they fight over resources and they, they try to push their own agenda. Um, I wonder if maybe because in a homogenous country like Korea, way that people are in a in a situation of scarcity over jobs and over resources and, and housing, the the way that people are forming groups and, and arguing is is based on gender. And I just think that's unfortunate. But at the same time I I guess, you know, you and I have both been young men. Maybe not maybe we're not so young anymore, but you know, I definitely know what it feels like to to want to be starting your life and to want to have a job and want to be independent. And I definitely do sympathize with these young guys who are spending their whole lives studying and are working really hard and are serving in the military. It's kind of national service that's quite demanding and they don't get paid for. And if you do all that and then you're entering your adulthood and you're wanting to establish yourself in the world and you're having a tough time finding a steady job, I mean, I can see why that would be frustrating. Yeah. Uh, there is like a backlash to the backlash, right? So the initial backlash being the, there seems to be this inherent institutional discrimination against women. Uh, women are treated, um, they're often victims of violence, highlighted this case. And then, of course, the Me Too movement came out with uh, Sajian, the prosecutor, which kind of led to the explosion of uh, cases that came about. And then the backlash to that backlash uh, with um, young men, of course, feeling a little bit um, persecuted uh, by all of that, at the same time also saying our lot in life is no better and we uh, suffer from many things that are unfair and uh, we don't have any kind of hope or uh, prospects for the future. And so there, there's now been that sort of um, tension that has existed, but it had now resulted in this demographic um, of young men, mostly 20s, some 30s, but where there seems to be this kind of... Uh, jockeying for how do we appeal to these people, whether they are disgruntled over cryptocurrency regulations or or, or stock trading or uh, the idea of um, this idea of being too, um, I, I guess, um, flexible with, with feminism. 
I, I, my, my main concern about this is that there would be this over-obsession over, let's say, what is deemed to be a privileged class. Because I see this happen back in my you know, um, birthplace in the U.S., where there was this kind of hand-wringing over the white working class and what do they think and how did Trump win and these uh, stories of interviews at diners in the Midwest <laughs> of how, how, how does the white working class think about these issues and why has the Democratic Party lost their way in trying to appeal to this group where at the end of the day, you have privileged groups and you have, you know, progress and, and progressivism, which results in changes in society. And sometimes we all have to adjust to that. And there are certain side effects uh, along the way. But to overly kind of focus on that one group and then maybe create, as you say, maybe sometimes media-generated sort of cleavages and this instinctive tribalism that we all go into, it's probably not going to be helpful for, for the rhetoric going forward, right? And I'd like, I think it would be ideal if we could kind of resist that, the human instinct towards tribalism that you refer to. Um, you know, I, I am someone who is kind of left-leaning politically, but like left-leaning in the, in the old sense, where I, I think solidarity is important. And, you know, I think I made this point last week when we were discussing uh, a, a kind of similar topic, where if you, for men, I, I, I wish that they would not lash out at women and, and think that and kind of see themselves as, as an aggrieved class and see women as taking rights away from them. I'd really like to see young people somehow work together and find, form a kind of unified block of yeah. young people that could work with the government and could work with big business to try to find real solutions to these problems. I mean, maybe there's, you know, maybe there are job creation. Pro I know the, the Moon administration has been working quite hard to create jobs. I mean, like maybe we could have some of these guys who are frustrated, maybe they could channel their energies towards trying to find policies that might actually help them instead of this yeah. this kind of inchoate rage that we see so much instead of, of pandering, nowadays. right? By saying, "Well, feminism bad," and maybe you know, even now the ruling party, which supposedly is the left leaning party, uh, they are there are some ongoing discussions of do we have to disregard or throw away feminism as part of our platform to re regain the trust of these twenty year old men, which obviously does not seem to be the way forward in terms of a kind of that knee-jerk reaction to, uh, you know, solve problems. And it's inconsistent with their values as the party that's for fairness and for, you know, creating right. a, you know, a more just society that works with, works better for more people. The, the kind of, what got me uh, thinking about this issue and wanting to write about it and the way that I pitch the story that I'm working on is, uh, as you know, the mayoral elections last month, the ruling party did really poorly and overwhelmingly young men voted for the conservative party. And so since then, uh, the ruling party has been floating these different policies that appear quite overtly to be aimed at gaining support from young men. And like one of them is bringing back this system whereby young men would get a system of points for their, for having served in the military that would give them a, a leg up in applying for certain kinds of jobs. And this law was taken off the books something like 20 years ago because it was deemed unconstitutional in that it took rights away from women. It was kind of seen as unfairly yeah. privileging men. And this is probably not, you know, the lawmakers who are floating this, like I, I suspect that if you spoke to them privately, they would admit that they don't really believe that this is going to be, you know, there's going to be a legislation passed on this. It's actually going to come back. Probably what they're doing is trying to create the impression that they are on the sides of young men and that they care. They're, they're hearing their concerns and they care about what matters to them and they're trying to help them out. 
And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but I wish what they were doing instead was coming up with some more kind of substantive and credible policies instead of instead of trying to feeding into this sort of battle of the genders that we're seeing. Yeah, and often it is conflated because you have extremists on both sides, whether it's um, like an internet group like WOMAD and then some of the kind of very controversial postings that they have. Uh, and then you have uh, Ilbe on the other side where, you know, there certainly is where you kind of see, well, uh, they're both kind of really, really kind of off base here. But the general public generally seems to have more of this kind of desire to have some kind of consensus unfortunately as you say um it's hard to get into that when we're all kind of put into our little uh tribal bunkers all right so we'll look forward to um the piece that you're writing on that front let's talk about something else um maybe not quite as (laughs) weighty as what we just discussed over the past uh, few minutes but um these electric scooters uh you if you live in uh, a place like seoul you'll notice that they're all over the place littering kind of the sidewalks and streets especially around these apartment complexes safety hazards and you have these ideas that there needs to be some stricter regulation enforced on um making sure that you can ride this without kind of dying basically if, if you see how cars are generally perceiving right of way you will probably come to the conclusion that riding one of these without a helmet or a license is probably not a wise thing to do what do you think do you think that the uh, the the laws on the books are being enforced on 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 this issue is this a case of of technology moving faster than law yeah. i mean this this seems to me i don't know the legislative framework as it refers specifically to these helmets and and how people are compelled to ride them but like just anecdotally, a number of times I've been on the street and I've had somebody just fly by me wearing one of these. And it's one of those things where, like, when you're on the sidewalk, if somebody suddenly takes a step one way, the, the margin of error is really small. I, I wonder how often, you know, I, I really hope that none of these young people who are riding these, like, collide with some how many who's carrying her groceries home. That's yeah. not, not in anybody's best interests. And I always wonder... It's it's kind of funny when you're just walking home at night and you see one of these just randomly on the street and doesn't seem to have been put in the current place that it's in with any real sort of thought involved. It's it looks just kind of randomly dumped there. I I wonder about that. I I just maybe this is me being old again, but I wish these people would just walk or take public transit. It's like yeah. I I understand these things. Maybe they're fun and maybe they're they're faster than walking, but. I don't know. I I hope that when it comes to this kind of technology, like usually what galvanizes change is some kind of really bad incident that gets a lot of public mm. attention. Uh, hopefully that there won't be this, like some kind of big accident that leads to this generating broader public discussion and then some kind of change. Yeah, you're really channeling your uh, get off my lawn. Um. <laughs> Oh, it's it's <laughs> early. Today. I'm not a morning person. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, it does feel like the policy that put these in place um, was with good intent in in terms of wanting to make Seoul a more pedestrian-friendly city, encouraging things like, as we've seen, the proliferation of uh, bike rentals and even these electric uh, bikes that come out. And I think most people see that there's an infrastructure now 
kind of gradually put in place to address the needs of cyclists. Uh, and then you had this, uh, you know, new, new technology, electrified scooters uh, get you from point A to point B in a faster way without having to, let's say, take a taxi or, or whatever. And it does keep things maybe uh, greener with less reliance on these combustion engine vehicles. And, but you said uh, maybe people can just take um, public transit more. But if, if, if your subway stop is 15 minutes away from your destination, ultimate destination, maybe some people feel, well, I can cut that in half by uh, taking these electrified scooters. But as you say, a lot of people may not be qualified to ride these. I'm, I'm very, like you said, the guy racing back without a helmet. I'm pretty impressed at the daredevil kind of skillful nature of some of these guys who are riding because they're kind of just screaming downhill, right, with mm. all these oncoming cars and they're just, just definitely kind of avoiding all of them. Not everybody has that kind of dexterity. And so you got to wonder, as you say, it, it might take one big tragedy or so to really kind of put the clamps on this, but it does seem like, uh, unfortunately, maybe we're heading in that direction. Seoul is a very densely populated place, and there's not a ton of open space to cruise around and to do anything fun and to play with speed and all the sort of things that, you know, I think anybody would be tempted to do if they got on one of these. But I don't know, I've always found Seoul to be a very easy city to navigate without resorting to anything like this. I've always just taken the subway and taken buses and, you know, traffic can be quite challenging. There can be heavy traffic, especially in certain, like, uh, well-traveled routes, but taxis are relatively inexpensive. I mean, I understand the the desire to want to experiment with new things and to want to have fun with them. Let's just all try to stay safe. That's the important thing, right? And safety always, um, certainly, uh, and I, I, I know that a lot of people don't necessarily tie into it, but I think after this whole very tragedy, uh, I think the awareness of safety and how important that is as part of sort of the social fabric uh, really needs to be emphasized. Final story here. This is an interesting one. There's been this rising trend online here of um, uh, people uh, snapping pictures of these cars, whether it's a Bentley or, or a Mercedes, uh, these cars in apartment complexes that generally the car owner of these luxury cars decide, I don't want anybody touching my car or I don't want anybody close to my car. So they end up taking two spots. And this certainly generates a lot of anger, especially in these very crowded parking uh, lots where basically if there are no spots to spare, this kind of um, deemed to be selfish person is taking up two spots. There was this one kind of act of revenge where a guy managed to somehow fit himself right on the driver's side of this Mercedes-Benz who did that little two-spot little um, uh, shenanigan, and they posted that photo out. It it essentially blocks that owner of the uh, Mercedes from being able to access his vehicle because he just can't get in. And so uh, I I think there was a sense of schadenfreude over that photo. A lot of people upset about all of this. Uh, Overall, your thoughts? Maybe I can answer a question with a question. Uh, How salient of a variable is that these are luxury cars? Like if this was a beat up old Chevy, I mean, would would it be resonating in the same way? Or like how much of a class issue? Um, As in, do you think it would be, people would be as angry if it was like a a, a beat up um, domestic car? Is this somebody who can afford a really nice car? Resentment against a a rich guy who's like kind of being a bully. Yeah. And is the motivation of the person with this nice car... I've got this really nice car and like I need to take this extraordinary step to prevent all you plebs from mm. possibly damaging my my fancy car. Is that what's going on here or is it just a matter of basic courtesy? So it, it, yeah, the, to go back to what you 
floated. Like, if this was somebody with a beat-up old car, like, would it be the same thing? It seems like this is a class issue. Yeah, so you would think that um, there would be less anger over a, a person with a beat-up car that it didn't, and then that would go into the issue of courtesy, which certainly there are problems of courtesy with, <laughs> no matter what your socioeconomic uh, background is. I, I think it is tying more into the kind of motif of let's say that uh, wealthy ajima at a, at a department store making an employee go back, you know, to be on their knees and beg for forgiveness or all these other cases of kapja that we've seen, you know, emanating from chebel heads all the way down to just regular old rich folks having their way. So certainly there is an anger there, but there is a sense that in Korean society, a lot of these richer guys do have a sense of being able to get away with it. So the counter-argument to what you're saying would be that that old beat-up Chevy guy just wouldn't be able to have the balls to, to, to do that because they would just be completely ostracized. Like, who in your right mind would you, as a beat-up Chevy, try to take two spots? So this is a... a so it, in, implicit in that is a kind of idea that somebody who has an expensive car like has some sort of... power that yeah. somebody who, yeah. who doesn't it, have... That definitely is uh, existent here in, in Korea, where if you go into get into an accident, they always say, get into an accident with like a beat-up old yeah. Sonata rather than like a, a Bentley, because you're just going to be paying up the wazoo, and they're, they're going to have that cop advantage in any kind of uh, negotiation with, with costs. I would love to see data on people who are involved in car accidents with very expensive cars and the correlation of that with... Uh, unsuspected neck injuries and, and, and things of that nature. You know, if, I, I guess if somebody who's driving an old beat-up car gets into a, a fender bender with someone in a, a Bentley or a Mercedes, they very suddenly have uh, some kind of yeah. spinal ailment that they need to seek expensive medical treatment for. And, but they'll probably float the possibility of just reaching a cash settlement yeah. uh, on the road. So can I assume that uh, you buying a Bentley or a beat-up Chevy is probably not something in the cards for you? I don't want either of those. <laughs> I don't want either. I don't want either an expensive car or a cheap car. I'm happy to use Seoul's very yeah. extensive and convenient and clean system of public transit. That's good enough for me. And taxis when I need them. That's good enough for me. Yeah, kind of tying it all in. Kinda, you were uh, singing the praises of the public infra- uh, transportation infrastructure, and I guess you won't need it uh, and deal with these kind of headaches uh, uh, with uh, Bentleys and uh, and parked cars. All right, uh, we are out of time. Stephen, as always, thank you very much. Uh, always appreciate it. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you. We'll be back after this.